Hi there. You're listening to What I Did Next from ANT Media. I'm Malak Fuad, your host. What I Did Next revolves around people's personal and professional crossroads and looks at those trajectories from key pivot points. My guests are multilingual, multicultural with roots in the Middle East. They're engaged, curious and passionate about knowledge and strive to make a difference in the world. I'm delighted to welcome today Bobby Chin to the show. Bobby, who's an old friend, is part celebrity chef, part comedian, part musician, not necessarily in that order. He's perhaps best known in the Middle East as one of the three judges on NBC's highly rated reality show, Top Chef. Where most people have pivots and crossroads in life, Bobby gives us massive pendulum swings. I spoke to him about how he went from a nomadic childhood across New Zealand, the US, Egypt and the UK to hustling on the New York Stock Exchange floor and trying his hand at comedy before eventually finding his true calling in the avant-garde kitchens of California. It was in Vietnam that Bobby fine-tuned his culinary skills, translating this into a TV career, globe-trotting on behalf of the Discovery Channel with a highly entertaining travelogue cooking show. As a guest, Bobby disarms and charms in equal measure, with humor and wit, all the while coming across as a deeply intuitive person who has learned important lessons through his travels, both literal and figurative. I want to know, uh, who would you have around your dinner table, your theoretical or your fantasy dinner party? If you could have five or six guests, who would you pick? I'd probably invite Moses, right? Talk about those, you know, Ten Commandments. Uh, so then you gotta, you gotta invite Jesus, right? right. <clears throat> gotta see if he looks like a Swede or where he looks like a Palestinian. So that'd be kind of cool. I obviously have him turn the, uh, the water to wine. Right. Then you gotta bring Muhammad in because of my profession. I'd say, should we be eating anything now? I mean, pork, chicken, meat, the whole shebang is, 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 is questionable. Plant based. Plant based. Maybe Buddha. Okay. But he's not a religion, he's a philosophy, but I'll just say, even you, even your group are slaughtering those, those Muslims down in, uh, in Myanmar. Got to get a comedian, probably be George Carlin because he's gone, right? Because then he can make sense of some of this stuff for me, with me. And then I think you need either like Mother Teresa or you need, you need a woman at the table to kind of like straighten I, I the men out. I would also. Yeah. <laughs> straighten you all out. So are you a religious person? I mean, you've named a lot of religious figures. Do you know Chris Christopherson? Yeah, of course. A Star is Born, right? Yeah, yeah. The song was, um, the lyrics were, um, never knowing if believing is a blessing or a truth, if the going up is worth the coming down. He's a poet. He's a picker. He's a prophet. He's a pusher. He's a pilgrim and a preacher and a problem when he's stoned. He's a walking contradiction, partly truth, partly fiction, taking every wrong direction on his lonely way back home. Is that your, that's your take on it? Yeah. I mean, okay. that's my life. Yeah. Basically. Interesting. And what would you be serving? Because, you know, I would have to ask you what would be on the menu at your particular dinner party. What's your ideal menu? Probably a plant-based uh, menu. I mean, like there could be the, the lentil salad that I adore from uh, M. Sharif. There's this really great dish I just tried. Um, this, this guy made it for me when I was in Saudi. Olives with... Um, that are cooked with shredded beetroot. I like, I think like, like food um, is medicine and medicine be thy food and food be thy medicine. And, um, and so, you know, I'd run the gamut with that. Right. Try to do no dairy and make it all taste yeah. good. Yeah. I like this, this fusion of, of 
what would seem to be like contradictory flavors, like um, olives and um, and beetroot seems like a, a weird combo, but I, I can imagine it would work. Yeah, but it's balanced as well. I've been really, really lucky uh, to travel the world and then see that like, you know, we were all eating vegetables, yeah. all eating plant-based, and we're now over-consuming with, with the animal proteins and it's destroying the planet. That's something I want to talk to you about because I know that you're a big, big advocate of sustainable cooking. And how do we move away from that? How do we educate people to change that? I think that if ever you want change, um, history has shown us that you have to invest in education and you have to change policy. So when I look at the world, um, we overconsume, we overproduce, we overconsume, and 33% goes to waste. Yeah, that's the shocking yet, part. Yet. Two billion people go to bed hungry every yeah. single day. So, so something inherently wrong in our system. Absolutely. And so how do we change it? I don't have the answer, but I do have the heart to, 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 to bring it up. And these are, these are the things that drive me. You know what's, I mean, we, we always forget that in Egypt, for example, we are a very much a vegetarian, uh, we have a huge vegetarian base to our cooking. And I think that a lot of people in Egypt actually just consume vegetables and pulses and beans and you know, it's a huge part of our of our menu in Egypt. Yeah, but food is is also like a form of social economic Darwinism. Mm. So if if you know the old days, I remember as a kid, you know, there'd be food, there'd be meat on Friday. Yeah, well, we didn't come from a poor family. Yeah, it was like we got the meat on Friday, we ate it on Saturday and Sunday, and you know, it lasted. Sure. Yeah, you can get a hamburger anywhere in the world. That's right. You know, we get sushi and sashimi anywhere in the world. Yeah. You know, they're like, well. Now there's like the ocean, the ocean's being depleted of seafood? You know, no, say it ain't so. Yeah, 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 it's crazy. So um, if you had to pick one book, one piece of music, which I know is gonna be very hard for impossible, you. Impossible, impossible. Listen, in school, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite, what's your favorite number? Yeah. I'm like, what difference yeah, does it yeah. make? I mean, like, why? Like, you know, when I think of you, I always think of the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Because I've heard you play them. I know you talk about them a lot. And I know they're a huge influence on you. Colossal. Yeah. Um, there's also like Van Morrison. Um, I can play the Grateful Dead, um, you know, to the wee wee hours, which I usually do. I stay up <laughs> to like five o'clock in the morning and I'm playing, you know, because I have a guitar and I've got the special amp that, you know, plugs me in, gives me the tone. And then I just play like for hours. Yeah. I'm at a dead show. And um, so, like, music is so important for me because it was my, it was my blanket as a child. It was, it was a place that I found comfort when I was, you know, sent to boarding school or thrown into different countries is that all of a sudden I can recite music in my head that brings me to a better place. Well, and it's also something that you take with you wherever you go, right? Exactly. It's but no, with you. I, was, I wasn't allowed music. But it's here. It's here. It's in your mind. Yeah. So that's, so, so that's how I have the ability to, like, recite you know, scripts, um, uh, information, Wall Street, you know, got me the thing of telling a story, um, uh, music, all that is just all integrated into my whole DNA. Mm. And what about reading? Are you a reader? No, I'm not really much of a reader because it was forced on me. You know, I didn't want to read Dickens. What kid wants to read Dickens? <laughs> you know, Shakespeare, who talks like that? <laughs> Give me something that's going to that's gonna help me. Right. But you're, so you're more nonfiction than fiction? Yeah. I'll tell you a book that changed, that helped change. There's a couple of books that changed my life. Okay. Uh, one was um, a book by Irving Stone called Lust for Life. And it's the story of Vincent van Gogh. And as a kid, out of all the artists, I love Vincent. 
Okay. I was like, why? He cut his ear off. I mean, how can you? There must be something about that man that really I want to connect to. And his paintings were completely different. He's not even an impressionist. He gets, he's in a completely league of his own. Absolutely. But what most people don't know about Vincent is that he only sold one painting his entire life to his brother, Theo. Um, he came from an affluent family. They threw him out of the business because he was no good at... He was weird. He, he was, was different. Weird, but he started painting when he was 30. So when anyone tells you it's too late... Did he? I didn't know that. Yeah. And what was the other... You said there were two books? The other book is uh, Michael Pollan uh, called Changing Your Mind, which is a history of... Um, the psychedelic drugs. Yeah. Yeah, that's taking the world by storm, actually. Well, yeah, because um, we've been sold a bunch of lies. For example, LSD is not addictive. But you say LSD, like LSD, it's like, well... Did you know that all your antidepressants and your anxiety drugs were based on the research of LSD? If it's not addictive, why is it illegal? Um, how did they use it in ancient society? I mean, it seems like I'm convinced that the pharaohs must have been on something, right? Because you can't get those colors in build. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's, it's in a way, it probably has an, has an influence on every single society and culture that we know. If you look at the legalization of marijuana as an example, yeah. it wasn't because a bunch of stoners like, hey man, you know, we're gonna pass this bill. Like, no, that's not the reason. Yeah. It, was an, it was an ethical question. Should children suffer? If we know that CBD prevents um, epilepsy, epileptic fits. And cancer treatment. Cancer treatment, yeah. the Israelis are doing tons of research yeah. in this department. Yeah. The, the medical research shows that marijuana is good for you. It's like, what about LSD? And so like, well, Interesting, you say that. <laughs> you know, the mouse was created from this drug, a computer-to-computer interface. Well, how? What do you mean? People, because you're breaking out of the box. Oh, I see. Right? So you're, you, you, you're, you, for the creative mind, it's creating, scientifically it's proven that it's creating more neuropathways in your brain. It's closing down your default mode network, right? So all of a sudden your ego is now silenced. Now what would the world look like if we silenced everyone's ego? Those three letters are destroying our world. Yeah. And so I was fascinated by that book. And this is after, of course, I've done all the neurology. No, it's, it's super interesting. Um, what about films? As I say, there's not, there's not that one thing. Mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, I love, I could sit in and watch Lawrence of Arabia over and over and over again. The director's cut. Give me the long one. Yeah, the right? long Cause, one. Because yeah. I don't want to, I want this to last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great movie. Yeah. It's an epic uh, Cinema Paradiso is probably one of the most touching movies I've, I've, I've watched. It's very um, sweet. Casablanca. Oh, you're a classics guy. Uh, well, I studied film when I was in uh, film appreciation in okay. college. Um, Clockwork Orange. I never saw that. I'm gonna you try have to and watch it. Out. Yeah, I'll yeah, it's, that it's, out. It's, a, it's a good, it's a good movie. That's Kubrick, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's 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 just like these three characters that are just you know going into rich people's houses and just beating the shit out of people, just disgusting. Oh wow, yeah, Ugly. like really opposite to any kind of social standards. Right. So Bobby, let's go back to the beginning. Um, you are half Egyptian, your mother's Egyptian, your father is half Chinese, half American, is that right? No, no, he's uh, three quarters, he's three quarters Chinese and a quarter Australian, an American citizen naturalized. Ah. I say I'm half Egyptian, half Chinese, because I don't want to go into it's the mathematics. Too, yeah, it gets too complicated. I know you were born in New Zealand. How did that come about? So my, my, my father met my mother in uh, Port Said on a ship. And they're going to, um, to London. My dad's got the gift for gab, so he convinces my mother they should get married and, set, and travel the globe together. 
and they can legally marry in Scotland. So they elope to Scotland. They tell me that there's a small town. The guy says, no one will find this place. <laughs> okay. The only guy that knows this town is the postman. That's hilarious. Next your morning. your mother agrees to this. Yeah, yeah. She's 17. I mean, like, you know. Wow. She's young. She's young. Yeah. Next morning, knock, knock, knock on the door. And the door opens, and it's my grandfather with members of you know, the Egyptian uh, no way. embassy. But it was too late. It was too late. My, but my grandfather's a great guy. And so he's like, look, your decision's made, and you have to do this correctly. And, and how old was your, was your dad at the time? Was he also very young? He was 19. Wow. So he decides that he's going to go sell encyclopedias door-to-door uh, -to, -door to all the ex-British colonies, and you have to learn English. And he would set himself up into all these different uh, places. Baghdad, uh, Africa. Wherever the English were, he went. And your and mother is where in this, at this point? Sometimes she traveled, sometimes she didn't. Okay, but she was based... Uh, states, I wouldn't know because I don't think she would remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, amazing. Yeah, I was like, what time was I born, Mom? I have no idea. But what a sense of adventure she had. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, uh, it was the 60s. Yeah, and she was really young. Yeah, um, and so he sold... And so I was born in New, I was born in New Zealand and uh, lived in the States. And so like, if you look at my life, because because you know, I've been thinking about how to explain this because, you know, how do you get the record straight? Yeah. You know, even Wikipedia doesn't, you know, know yeah. who I am, right? Yeah. Just think of an immigration form, especially <laughs> in the United States. And it's like Caucasian American, um, African American, Native American, Hispanic, Asian. Asian. They, they, just, they just get tired there. They're like, okay, others and explain. Yeah. So just because of that, I think out of the box by default, right? So I go to the first school in San Francisco, which is where I consider myself from. So in San Francisco, you were in, a, you were in day schools because you mentioned earlier you, were in, you went to a boarding school. So, so, you know, and I'm listening to your guests. I, I listen to a bunch of your, your interviews and it's like, you know, these pivotal moments. I'm like, pivotal moments? No, <laughs> mine are like pendulum swings. <laughs> you, wrote, you can write the book on pivotal moments. Yeah, so um, I, I go to the school and, um, my, and I'm a, as I say, I was just born in trouble. Right. Okay. And so, you know, it's like, uh, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Michael, what do you want to be? He's like, I, I want to be a policeman. And, and David, what do you want to be? <laughs> I want to be a fireman. And, and John, what do you want to be? I want to be a policeman too. And these two kids are like, oh my God, we're the same. You know? And then Bobby, what do you want to be? I want to be a pimp. <laughs> pimp! And literally... Did you really say that? Yeah, yeah. That's They're like, and, I, and, and all the kids... how old at this point? I'm... Like kindergarten, I'm, I'm, I'm. This is this is not normal behavior. You Did know? you even know what a pimp was at that age? Of course not. I just heard it being said in the house. <laughs> so they send me. I can't write this stuff. I swear That's I can't hilarious. write this. Hilarious. Okay. Um, they send me to the principal's office. Yeah. Swear in my life. Right. The principal's name is Mrs. Buck Drucker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's like, what parent is going to make that mistake that I heard them say at the house? Who's going to get buck with butt? <laughs> so you get kicked out of different schools, basically. No, I don't get kicked out. Okay. I'm just in trouble. It's okay. Like, so watch that Bobby Chin, the, kid. that you're on that fine line, basically. Fine every line. Time. I'm outside of the line. I'm outside of the crosswalk. Get inside the crosswalk. I'm walking outside. It's, just, <laughs> it's more fun. Yeah. You know? So then um, um, there's another school. And then I, I meet my grandmother for the first time that I recall. And... Um, and so my sister and I are sent to Egypt. This is like 1972. So I'm like six years old. And there's guards outside the house. And then there's my grandfather. And I'm like, whoa, you know. And you hadn't met him before either. 
No. Okay. And, and, and my grandparents were just exceptional. Um, and I had family, extended family. Um, um, I went to the clubs. I played sports. Um, everything that didn't exist where I was coming from. So it felt like you were finally kind of living a normal childhood in a way? I like, didn't know like what, I don't know stable, what normal is. Like, you didn't know? Okay. No, because even America, that was still stable. That was all I, that's all I knew. Sure, sure. You know, the friendly people in my life were on television. Everyone else in the real world, Bobby! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. I was yeah. always in trouble, even today. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. when I'm on the set, like, you know, Bobby! And I was like, yeah. It's like, I want to talk to you. I was like, do you want to talk to Mona and, and Maroon as well? No, no just you. Just like, you. Oh, here we go again. So wh where did you go to boarding school? And at, and at what age? Age of 10. Um, my grandfather is uh, the, becomes the ambassador to, uh, to England, Court of St. James. And so, and I, he raised, my grandparents raised me, um, you know, a couple parts of my life, which were the grounding thing. I always told my, told my grandmother, like, Mom, you know, mommy, if it wasn't for you, I would have chosen a life of crime. I would have been, I would have been gangster, you know? And so they sent me to English boarding school. And, um, and that was traumatic. Really? Because I was so happy in Egypt. Yeah. My only, my only memories of love, happiness, was in that playing, new, was that a, in is that in Egypt. Homes. Yeah, yeah, Egypt yeah, was yeah. always this place that I always felt love. Where did you go? Which school were you at? I was at uh, this place called Dover College Junior School in Folkestone. And all of a sudden, like now I'm separated for the first time ever. I'm separated from my sister. And I'm really alone. And as the door is starting to close, I raised my hand out. I said, please don't leave me here. And as quickly as those words came out of my mouth, I'm slapped across my head, but not like my cheek, over my ear with an incredible... Um, Violent. Yes. And this is a person that was just like two minutes ago saying, you you know, this is, you, you know, you got mates in schools yeah. and being really polite yeah. in front of my parents. And the next week he slapped yeah. me across my face yeah. and he says, you're going to like it here, young man. So it was, it's like a caricature of those horrible. I can't like watch it. Like a Dickens book, as you said earlier. Dickens. Yeah. I mean, like, look at Oliver Twist had it yeah, easy. Exactly. You know? so I went to boarding school, but I went 10 years after you. Uh, but my experience was completely different. I didn't have any of this. No, this is, this, they, this was this was abusive. Yeah, it sounds horrendous. And so my mother told me I couldn't hit other kids. That you're in England, you have to use your brain. And so I was like, you know, first day in school, I got the cricket bat twice. Wow. Okay. Wow. For telling the truth. Yeah. Right. And I just remember looking at all those kids smiling and laughing with glee. Wow. And I'm like, I'm going to hurt you. The viciousness of it. I'm going to. Yeah. I'm going to humiliate you. I am going to destroy Yeah, you. yeah, yeah. And so they introduced me to rugby. Huh. A way to vent out your frustration. Right? But um, it was venting out the frustration, but I felt that I was going to be great. I was in six schools by the age of 10 on three continents. Oh, wow. Okay. That this school, I become the captain of the rugby team, and then I get, my coach says, you waste yourself at the senior school. There's only one place for you. You go to Millfield. Okay. Very sporty school. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So this is the best sporting school in Europe. Yeah. And I'm playing on the first 15. Fantastic. And, and I'm young and I'm getting colors. My scholarship yeah. is doubled. After all the years of, of, of hardship and different schools and all of that, you must have felt very relieved that you were finally in a place where you were being recognized. I've always had um, one foot 
in luxury or business class or I'm, 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 I'm respected and I always had one foot in the gutter. Yeah. So even though I was, you know, excelling in sports, I wasn't excelling in school. Right. And so I dropped out. Yeah. I walked away and I threw everything away. Why? Because as adolescents, I, 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 I liked a girl and I don't think I could go to school every single day and see her. It just would break my heart. Right. So I didn't know how to deal with that as a kid. You said you were in, when you went to university, you went to several colleges? I went to, um, wait a sec, one, two, three. I went to four colleges within the first two years. Okay. Is it similar reasons for before? You were like, not sure what you were doing? Or... No, there was the idea like, look, kid, um, you know, your SAT scores are horrible, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so to get around this, um, you go to a community college. So I went to the uh, College of Marin. And um, actually, Robin Williams, I think, went there. Um, you get on the dean's list, and then you transfer to UC Berkeley. Easiest way to get into Berkeley. And is that what you did? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> But you transferred somewhere. Where did you transfer to? <laughs> well, so I transferred to, um, I, I graduate. I'm on the dean's list. Um, and um, my dad says, hey, um, they've brought this guy by the name of Barry Barto. He's the new uh, football coach at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And you want to go try out. And so this will be playing with the best of the best. Amazing. So I go and I do a, a tryout. And the guy's like, yeah, signed, you know, come out. Nice. After one semester, I'm like, I'm out of here. I don't want to be a, I, I don't. I, I, I think I'm more than a soccer player and I wouldn't be the best, right? You know, I fit in, I can play, sure. but I'm not going to be, I didn't feel it in me. Because I you wanted to be the best and you knew you wouldn't be? Yeah. I knew what it felt like to be the best when I played at Millfield. Right. I mean, those are the best of the best. Sure. And I was like, I don't want to be a soccer player. I don't want to play for school. I'm done. Yeah. So I drop out of college and um, I get a job working as a busboy for uh, Boss Gags. Remember Boss Gags? No. Uh, Sil his album's called Silk Degree. You should listen to okay. it. It's, it's a really great album. Okay. My mother gives me 5,000 bucks or 10,000 bucks to invest in the stock market. I'm getting stiffed my tips from my waiters, right? They're like, you know, <laughs> you're a shit. You know, I'm not going to give you, here's a dollar for your work. You know, it's like, that's not 10%. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I made money in the stock market. So you were just playing the market. Just I was playing the market the and I was doing really well. Right. You know, doubled my money. And so I took the money and I ran. And I'm like, I'm going to Europe, right? <laughs> <laughs> and went to Italy and I was in London and the BBC had this piece on Egypt. And I was like, I got to go to Egypt. So I go to Egypt and my aunt says, we're going to go to uh, Spain if you want to join us since you're doing the whole travel thing. And it's, I did that. I went to Italy, hung out with them in Spain. And like, you should come to London. So I apply and I get to Richmond College, mm -hmm. university now. So I had a BA in finance economics, and then um, what am I going to do? So you got it. You got your BA. Yeah, I got okay. my BA. And so then I worked in San Francisco. I was working for a hedge fund. My father had some legal issues. My father was the advisor, the financial advisor to the attorney general, uh, Ed Meese, under Reagan. So he had a big political uh, case scandal and Rudy Giuliani is going to indict him in the Southern District of New York. Oh, wow. And so I was like, oh, I mean, this is weird. So um, anyway, I just, you know, I'm a privileged kid. I'm a privileged child. I don't have my own identity. And so I moved to um, New York. Mm -hmm. I get a couple of jobs. I end up getting on the, on the, on the a job on the floor of the New York Stock. Yeah, I saw that. I read about that. So I read it for no, Egyptian Chinese on the floor of New York Stock Exchange. You know, you're either Jewish, Italian, or Irish. Yeah. You got a couple of blacks, you yeah, know, just but, to say for, the, affirmative but rights. But your background, you know, you've got that sort of hustle ability. 
So you must have been amazing at that job. Um, no. You weren't? <laughs> I was good. I could do the job. Yeah. Um, I did things where they're like, how the hell did you do that? And I wouldn't tell them because it, it's actually much quicker than they think. They didn't yeah. know how to do it. Um, so I worked on the, on the floor. How long was that for? A year and change. And I realized, I, st I started taking creative writing classes at um, uh, the new school. Yeah. And I wanted to write a play. And so I tell my boss to go screw himself um, regularly. You know, <laughs> like here are 25,000 trades at five eights. And then just as he walked within hearing this, I'm like, prick. And he goes, just call me. And so he fired me because I didn't have the ability to quit. Uh-huh. I wanted my unemployment check. Okay. In New York, when you lose your job, when you're looking for a job, you're like, I can't survive here for very long. Absolutely. You got to get a job. Quickly. Absolutely. The merciless society. Sure, like London. Same. What did you do with your creative writing? Did you, did you do anything with that? Well, the thing was, is that I've always thought comedy was a way to communicate the injustices in a way, but as long as you laugh and say the things that you couldn't say, Absolutely. if it was funny, hey, you get away a joke. With it. And you get away with it. Right. So I'm selling uh, seafood. Well, I'm not a seafood monger, right? I'm going to apply everything I learned from Wall Street. And I'm like, wow, what a creative, creative thing, right? Because it's, it's lacking. I don't want to talk numbers all day long. I want to I I create. I want to build something. You're wanna... storytelling. You're selling, but in a way that is engaging the person you're selling to. Yeah, but professionally, I want to leave something. I want to find a purpose. I call my, my parents up. I'm like, listen, I made a really huge mistake. I, I did the... Um, I'm in the wrong profession. Yeah, I've done all the jobs. Yeah. I can do the jobs. I just don't like it. I don't really have this great desire yeah. to be rich. I don't want to be poor. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy, you know? And I heard this song a thousand and one times before. I can recite the lyrics but I didn't understand the wisdom of those words. And it was the Eagles. You can spend all your time making money. You can spend all your love making time. And I was like, oh my gosh, now I understand the reason of algebra, right? Because it's not about what I want to do. It's what I don't want to do. So I called my mother up. I'm like, I made that mistake um, and I'm going to be a chef. And she says, we don't have cooks in our family. We got generals, yeah, engineers, yeah, yeah, yeah. We doctors. Do, we do military. We do generals. Yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't mess around. Yeah. We don't have cooks. So the way I used to man manipulate my mother was always give her an option. Right. That was really bad. Okay. Like, so the chef thing was like the better of the two options. Exactly. So what was the other option? A clown. <laughs> what did she say? She's like, you're on your own. Yeah, she said it too. And they, they were united, divorced, yeah. but united. For the united. first time ever. Yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> we'll continue our conversation with Bobby shortly, right after this break. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about our bonus episodes, available exclusively for subscribers. On each bonus episode, I take a deeper dive into my guests' industries, and I share some extra parts from our conversation. For example, actor and comedian Rami Youssef told me about his thoughts on cancel culture, and ex-anchor and now author Hala Gorani told me her thoughts on the future of journalism. All of these great stories are only available on our bonus episodes, so subscribe now to unlock this amazing extra content. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts by clicking the subscribe button or on our website and get instant access to all our bonus episodes with a two-week free trial. And now, back to the show. 
I wanted to take a minute to tell you about our bonus episodes, available exclusively for subscribers. On each bonus episode, I take a deeper dive into my guests' industries, and I share some extra parts from our conversation. For example, actor and comedian Rami Youssef told me about his thoughts on cancel culture, and ex-anchor and now author Hala Gorani told me her thoughts on the future of journalism. All of these great stories are only available on our bonus episodes, so subscribe now to unlock this amazing extra content. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts by clicking the subscribe button or on our website and get instant access to all our bonus episodes with a two-week free trial. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Malak Fouad, and you're listening to What I Did Next from ANT Media, and this is my conversation with celebrity chef Bobby Chin. Improvisational comedy is not about being funny. It's about the character. So, like, for example, my life is filled with these characters. So I can go, ah, it is not you, can you, and the Polanio, crazy, Bobby, right? So, Nigerian, <laughs> Arab, English. Yeah. I can I, yeah. I do all that. Yeah, I just yeah. imitate. I'm a chameleon. Yeah, I'm just yeah. going in. I'm getting paid. Not often. <laughs> but, 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 it's, but it's working. Yeah, I couldn't survive on the money. I was living hand to mouth. Right. Uh, to, to, to survive, I work, they hire me as the head waiter because I got the gift of the gap. Right? Yeah, yeah. And lie. <laughs> so I was like, okay, forget it. I'm going to go to San Francisco. And to support myself, I work as a waiter. I develop the skills sure. of a waiter. And sure. I end up in this really great restaurant called Elka, Franco-Japanese food. Uh, the chef de cuisine was Tracy Desjardins, you know, James Board, Beard Award recipient, you know, an incredible woman, incredible chef. And I'm learning the skills of a waiter. So you really started at the ground the, from the bottom up in terms of in, in the restaurant world. I mean, oh. You've, you've, you've been in every single every, role. Yeah, every position. When I ran away from home, I was a, I was a dishwasher, yeah. uh, a busboy. Um, and then I went through the gamut of Los Angeles restaurant. And now I'm in this really great restaurant, applying, learning the skills, learning what I live, used on Wall Street, learning the script. Yeah. So I write the script, how to sell. So you are... I, I didn't realize this, but you're a self-taught chef? Yeah. So you never attended culinary school. You did it all through hands-on experience. Yeah. I lecture at them sometimes. <laughs> you did? Did you? <laughs> uh, I'll do it. I just say yes. Yeah, of course. That's the best thing, actually. That, that, that what you just said is, is I've, I only just say yes, meaning that you'll, you're open to every single thing that comes your way. That's the only way I'm in the position that I'm in today is because I said yes, and I don't, I, don't, I don't look at failure as failure. I look at it it's like it's, you know, if it doesn't kill you, you've sure. got experience. It's you've only story. experience, of course. But my fear of failure is so great that I really do work hard. Yeah. If, I'm gonna, if I threw all that away, am I going to fail at this, you know? So you were, you were in the San Francisco kitchen, and you were learning from the ground up? Yeah. My dad walks in, and he's with a bunch of friends, and he says, um, sorry, excuse the cliche, what are you, a stand-up comic? I'm a stand-up comic waiter? Okay, uh, let me tell you, number one, you're not funny. Number two, you're a shitty waiter. And three, your education is far too expensive to think that you're a funny waiter, and Vietnam's the future. Your dad said that to you? Yeah. It's like, Vietnam, three-quarters the size of California with a gross domestic product and eighth of the state budget of California. 70 million people, 97% of the population uh, 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 literate, right? Um, uh, they've got tungsten. I don't know what tungsten is, right? But they mix the light bulbs, right? Uh, tungsten, mm, they got mm. gold, they got diamond, they got, they got oil, 
So it's your dad that pointed Vietnam out to you. I was going to ask you what, why Vietnam? Why did that become? Why did you're synonymous with Vietnam? Right. Actually, Vietnam character in, in calligraphy were, um, is is um, uh, semi-barbarian. Okay. Because they were they were organized enough to basically fight the Chinese. They beat the Chinese 13 times. Right. Okay. So right. I've never seen a community so galvanized. I mean, when you look at like COVID as an example. It's like the Vietnamese, like, you know, we declare war on COVID. And the Vietnamese like, war? We're good at that. What do we got to do? Stay home. You know, wear the face mask. Yeah. We wear face yeah. masks. We, 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 we work towards the better of society. We and, are and they're community-centric. Exactly. And so he tells me all this stuff. My dad is, is advising the State Bank of Vietnam on the privatization of state-run enterprises. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there, and I was like, how do you get off? Until, do they know who you are? Do they know what you just came from? You know, uh, you got a plumber yeah. on sitting on the same side of the table with us and you got a waiter advising these guys, you know. But you, you took his advice. I did. That's amazing. Well, what I wanted to do is I wanted to go to, because all the chefs was like, what did the Vietnamese eat? There's no books on Vietnamese food. No. Vietnam was isolated for 25 years on yeah. an embargo. Yeah. The, when you ask, the, when I asked these really knowledgeable chefs, I mean, they can tell you about you know, Korean ingredients, Japanese ingredients, you know, worldly. Vietnam, they eat noodles, dog, and soup. Was part of the attraction that it was virgin territory in terms of perception around the world? Yeah, but, you know, I like to tick a bunch of more boxes. Okay. <laughs> so um, one is I was going to go learn the cuisine. Yeah. And I'll go back to San Francisco and do a, a Franco-Vietnamese restaurant. Oh, that was the end game. That was the end game. Like okay. One year, two years. Right. It was a place for me that would allow me to fail where no one would see me fail. Fair enough. And so, um, and I had failed. <laughs> what, were you getting embarrassed about those failures? Is that why No, you... I was getting angrier. You were getting angry, okay. I was like, okay, now I'm gonna show you. Right. And so I'm in, um, I'm in Hanoi and this guy, Jonathan Birchall, comes up to me and he goes, um, why are you here? You can be anywhere in the world. You can be in New York, London, Paris, you know, and be appreciated. I said, all I want is for someone to write me a review. They don't call my demigloss a gravy. They don't call my garnish a topping. And who is Jonathan? He writes for the um, Financial Times. Okay. So I get this a half spread on in the nice. Financial Times. Was oh, this your first review? International, yeah. Not bad. This is an incredible article. What, what period are we talking? Mid-90s? 1997. Okay. This company I'm working for, they fire me after three years of dedicated service. They made me an offer. And... Um, and then I heard rumors that they're going to give it to my competitor. I go to my partner, who's the single largest investor in Vietnam, owns a city. I mean, would dwarf Guna, if you can imagine that. Mm. You know, it's like 750 supplies, 85% electrical power to Ho Chi Minh City. He's not even 40 years old. And I said, negotiate on my behalf because I can't negotiate from an, from, uh, you know, an equal, equal footing or equal standing. Yeah. And so my partner tells my boss, you know, like, you know, he's like, okay, well, I accept these terms. He says, well, no, no, no. Um, they've changed. I said, mm. but I'm accepting your offer. You've made this offer. Mm. Why did he change his mind? Because they, they, they shopped it and they got a better offer. Oh, I see. Okay. And so he says, okay, tell me much. How much do you want? And so um, he's like, make me an offer. He says, I don't do business like this. He takes his pen, closes it, right? He says, this guy's worked for, for three years. He made a ton of money for you. All right. And now you want him to shop? Yeah. There's no loyalty there whatsoever. Zilch. Yeah. Got up. I'm like, holy shit, I'm unemployed. They fired me. Right. I was ready to leave. And then this property, the most iconic property 
is available. No one survived this place because the rent's expensive. And so um, I'm, 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 I, I, I create this really um, iconic restaurant. My, 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 my friend, he's, he's a friend, but I always refer to him as my partner because I'm honored to have such a friend be a partner. You know? And he says, money will never come between us. Just don't you embarrass me. Okay. And the name of the restaurant? Well, since I was thrown out of uh, all my restaurants and they continued running my menus, I called it Bobby Chin, Restaurant Bobby Chin. I copied Gary Danko, right? So Gary Danko was a friend of mine who was a mentor to me as well. Yeah, and the restaurant did, um, did well, and then um, that got me television. And then down the line, there was the Discovery Channel show. That, that was it. That was it? Well, you know, there's a part in your interview, well, not the your interview, but it was in uh, Steve Jobs's. Yeah. So I was inspired by that speech because yeah. I watched a bunch of them, and he was describing my life. I said, they're not dots. Their pendulum swings, and then occasionally there might be a dock that is a pivotal moment. But you, you got these huge swings back and forth. Death. Okay. What do you mean by that? To, to accept, accept it. Okay. And I was in that moment. What happened at that moment for you to suddenly think of death? Well, it was it was a, it was a, it was a culmination of things. I'm I'm sleeping on the sofa of my restaurant for nine months because I wasn't sure I was going to make it. This restaurant, this iconic restaurant. My childhood friend David Branston calls me up. Says we're going to Irian Jaya. Irian Jaya is considered the greatest diving place in the world, according to Jacques Cousteau, with the greatest clarity of water and biodiversity. And where is that? Um, in the archipelagos of Indonesia. Okay. And so we're trying to land the airplane. And, um, and all of a sudden, um, well, sitting next to me is my childhood friend's wife, uh, Lydia. And we both had realized at least 10 years before this that both of us had this conversation that we both think we're going to die on an airplane. Oh, wow. That's very dark, Bobby. Of course it's dark. I have a fear of flying, so this is really uncomfortable. Anyway, go ahead. And so all of a sudden, as, as, as we're landing, it was like the engines turned off. And we both look at each other like, what the hell is that? And then one, two, and this next second, G-force on your chair, spinning, and everybody in the airplane is going, ah, screaming. So I literally get out of my chair. I'm walking out. You know, this is like turbulence wow, and stuff. Wow. And everyone's like, Bobby, where are you going? I'm yeah. like, going to find out what the hell's going on. Oh my I'm God. And so I go up in the front of the aircraft, the flight attendant sitting there. He says, Sir, what are you doing out of your seat? Get back to your seat. I said, I want to know what's going on. The captain hasn't said anything. Yeah. We're all in the back. We're scared shitless. I want to know what's going on. And she says, Sir, go back to your seat and pray. Oh my God. Yeah. So, oh no. And so, like, you know, and everyone's like, you know, what does she say? She says, Pray. Wow, Bobby. Yeah. Uh, that's really that's really out of my comfort zone. What happened? I go back. Lydia's about to go to hit the volume. And this is where the part of, you know, never knowing if believing is a blessing or yeah, a truth. Yeah. And I look at her and I'm like, before you take that volume, let me convert you to Islam. So easy. Just in case. She's a sitting duck. <laughs> I convert her and I'm sitting there. And, and you're at peace. And this is, and now I'm in this moment. You're in, you're at peace. I'm, no, not yet. I'm gonna, I'm gonna feel ecstasy in a couple of seconds. Wow. And I'm thinking, God, is this how you're gonna take me? Will I be in one piece? Oh, wow, Bobby. Will I make the evening news? How long will it take? Like, you know. Uh, Everything flashing 80, through 80, your mind. Yeah, 85 people died. There were 16 Americans or whatever. These are like, it's going through my head. And then it starts to hit me. And now suddenly my, 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 my body relaxes. I feel ecstasy from my fingers to my toes. And I feel love like I've never felt before. 
and I see pictures that I've not seen. I've never seen them ever again, but they just start coming to me. Of what? There's a picture of me in the Golden Gate Park with my sister. I was dressed up as a Cub Scout. So from, from your childhood, they, like flashes of your childhood coming back at you? Love. Love. The, it's, it's not the image. Yeah. It's a it's sensation. It's the feeling you had from it. Yeah, love. And love, and my niece seeing her smile, and my grandparents, and my younger cousins, and everything wow, that I ever baby. loved. Yeah. And then the next minute, smash, crash, and all of a sudden, you know, we're skidding on the air, you know. And David's like, what were you thinking about? Us feeling love. What were you thinking about? He says, I was thinking I was going to die next to Michael, you know. <laughs> You're sitting next to my wife, you know. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Yeah, that changed my life. So this is, I mean, I hate to go be, bring you back down to earth, but this is a major pivot in your life. Yeah. But what did it, what did it make you pivot to? What changed for you? Like, today is not a guarantee, it's a gift. So you make every day count. Um, you do what you love. Yeah. Keep on pursuing it. Um, there's no fear. I'd have no fear. Tell me about Top Chef. Top Chef, um, I'm unemployed. Um, I'm out of the restaurant business. I'm taking a sabbatical. This is after um, the neurology, two months after it. And um, I get this guy saying, I had a business opportunity in the Middle East on Facebook. No way. Yeah. I was like, talk to my agent. Yeah. Agent calls me up, Bobby, this is not some rinky dink guy that wants to get his video camera and film you in a garage and make a TV show. This is Top Chef. All right, it's NBC. Uh, so they asked me and they said, well... So just give us a quick synopsis on the format. It's you and two other judge chefs, right? Right. So just give, give me a quick background on what the show's about. It's a one-hour show. It's a, a, comp, a cooking uh, competition. We start with like um, uh, 13 chefs. We start with 16. And then it's uh, elimination. And they eliminate round after round. And you have a couple of the contestants are in your in your corner or like you mentor a few of them or you're just a judge? I'm just a judge. Okay. And I don't like being a judge as an Egyptian Chinese person because I've been judged my entire life and I don't want to do this, but I need the money. Yeah, no, but it's fun. Yeah, no, it's fun. I, I know. You know, I often think of that person standing in front of me and I pretend, okay, pretend she's your niece because she just delivered a really horrific dish. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And, and... But food is honesty, you know? It's like, it doesn't take long to like take one bite, like, oh my God. Absolutely. Right? It's either yes or no. Right. And these, the contestants are, what, they, they own their own restaurants, they work in restaurants. They work in restaurants, they own their own restaurants, they can be sous chefs in restaurants okay. and hotels. They come from, uh, we've had from Iraq, Syria, Palestine, Jordan, all the way to North Africa, Morocco, Algeria. And how many seasons have you done now? We're just about to go to the sixth season. And are you now a celebrity? I don't know. The people, some, I mean, the, the, you just said a taxi driver knew who you were. A lot of people shop. So they shop, they, sure. They shop, yeah. Yeah. Amongst, um, you know, a lot of people have no idea that I'm on a TV show here. But, but not just Egypt, all over the Middle East, I presume, right? Right. Because NBC is watched by millions and millions of people. When's the next season? So we have, we, we filmed it during um, COVID. Yeah. Which is, we're in Saudi Arabia and you can't assemble more than 20 people. We're 100 people in this crew. How did you do that? Outdoors? I don't know. I don't, I don't ask questions. I just show up. 
But were you outdoors for it? We're outdoors for some, and then we do the studio stuff. Right. So the new season is, is launching in January? No. The, the, the new uh, season five airs in October. Okay. And the new season, season six, we're going to start filming supposedly in January. And so because of the quarantine, because of lockdown, because of all these issues with travel and getting, we generally invite celebrity chefs to come and judge with us. No one can come. What they did, which is an absolute stroke of genius and a miscommunication between the executive producer and the, uh, and the uh, producers from NBC, he says, well, we'll let the judges, we'll let the chefs judge. So um, we'll have, if you win the quick fire challenge and you can't get kicked off the show. Oh, nice one. So that, that's part of their immunity. They get to judge alongside you. Right. Nice. Which is so fantastic because all of a sudden I'm sitting there and it says, okay, they, I think someone they had to give their feedback first. And I was like, so we aren't Neshfin, are we? Yeah, yeah. We're telling the truth. Yeah. This is credibility. Yeah. And what, what I also think happened is it kept everyone humble. Yeah. Because as you go through this, there's a little arrogance that comes to it. You have to have a certain amount of arrogance and confidence to cook, but it also comes out in personal uh, relationships. So this kind of like subsided in season five, which I thought was beautiful. And for you, do you, do you consider yourself, is TV your comfort zone now? Are you comfortable in this environment? Do you see yourself doing more TV work? Yeah, I teach one person how to do a dish. When I'm on television, I can teach millions. So the power of that became very apparent with the Discovery shows. And, yeah. I was like, and, then, and then all of a sudden you get all these different gigs. And I was like, what? I become the ambassador for WWF and Sustainable Seafood. I believe in that. Yeah. I want to help. How can I help? How can I use this platform to do the things that I feel strongly about? But I wanted to ask you something. You are now perhaps more known as a, a celebrity chef or you're on TV. Do you miss the restaurant world? Do you see yourself going back to that at some point? Remember that ADD thing? Yeah. <laughs> There'll always be another phase, right? <laughs> I am constantly, you know, you always have... Um, I always have several irons in the fire yeah. because a lot of my dreams don't come true. Sure. And so you constantly work on the things that you love. Uh, you alluded to having lots of different hobbies, uh, lots of ideas, lots of directions. Do you see your life being a, a sort of an amalgam of these things where you'll just keep ha a hand in different things? How do you see things panning out sort of in the next five years for you? I was never able to answer that question either. <laughs> my vision is myopic. Okay. I, I don't see any, I'm, I'm, I'm in the here and the now. Yeah. And that's how I, that's where it brings me peace. I, I think something's going to come of all this. And I think maybe we just, you haven't found, you know, haven't seen that direction yet. It hasn't, it hasn't taken me on the wave yet. No, but. I don't, you don't swim against the current. Bobby, that's a fantastic place to end. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening today. This episode of What I Did Next was brought to you by ANT Media with me, Malak Fuad, and is co-produced by Shirag Desai. Please remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for updates on the show. Just search for What I Did Next. I'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review in your podcast player. This boosts the show's ratings and helps us reach potential new listeners. Our next episode will be in two weeks' time, and we really hope you can be with us then.